junior church age can go on out to junior church. The teachers are waiting. And this morning we're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter number 6. And I will preface this message by saying... We're going to talk about the idea of already gone, the battle for your child. And I will, again, I'll preface this message by saying, obviously, I am the parent of young children. And there are parents here with much more experience than myself. However, I'm not trying to give you my rules for parenting. I'm giving you what God says um, about parenting and how we ought to parent our children. Um, Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what works for me with my children. It matters what God says. And so I will try and keep my opinions and my anything I say that is things that I do is not to be taken as, well, this is the right, necessarily the right way to do it. Um, Only what God says in his word uh, is the, the fast and true way to do it. Anything else is just opinion or um, practice that has worked. However, we're going to try and stick just with what God says this morning. And this is a, a little bit of a heavy topic. You know, as parents, sometimes when you first become a parent, you don't think of all the great responsibility it's going to be. You know, the first few weeks of, of that child's life, you're just worried about trying to get some sleep, not thinking about a battle that's going on for the life and, and spiritual life of your child. Yet, the Bible is clear that we have to train children. We have to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, I have some practical ways that we can, as parents, that we can raise our children to love the Lord. But it, it, maybe you say, well, my children are already grown up, or I don't have children, or I'm a grandparent. Well, there's still things in here that as a Um, Someone who doesn't have children or whose children are grown or who's a grandparent can still glean truth from this this passage and be a help and an encouragement to parents of small children and, well, children and teenagers. Because you still have the ability to pray on behalf of those parents. You still have the ability to help encourage that child to do right, to, live, to love the Lord and live for Him. And so, again, today we're going to talk about already gone, the battle for your child. And so, as we were getting into this, I have a, uh, a Babylon Bee post that I saw the other day. And it says, Parents baffled that one hour of youth group a week is not effectively combating a teen's 30 hours on TikTok. <laughs> and it's funny... Because it's true. You know, as the, the youth pastor, I've been in youth ministry for a total of five and a half years now, three years and nine months here, and a year and nine months previous. And I've heard parents, I've heard people that like, are not, have not even been in either of the ministries I've been in that have come to me and said, can you fix my teenager? Or my son does not love the Lord. He, all he cares about is this other stuff. Can you talk to him, try and, and pretty much fix him? And oftentimes in American Christianity, we get the idea that the youth pastor is just supposed to fix the teenagers. 
that we, we send our teenagers there for one hour a week, and the, the youth pastor gets them to be a spiritual teenager. But the truth of the matter is, as a youth pastor, my responsibility is to supplement what parents should already be doing at home. That parents should be training their children to love the Lord, and what I do should be a supplemental thing to help the teenagers, give them a a booster shot from someone else, per se, if you want to go that route, to, to push them along in what their parents are already teaching them. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 6, actually I think I had one more picture um, after that one. So this is from Barna Research, and this is a little bit older of one, but it's uh, 2019, an increase in church dropouts. Now this is adults age 18 to 29. Because at the age of 18, when, when most teenagers are finally out of their parents' rule, they, they don't have to go to church because their parents always told them they had to. Now they're 18 and they can do whatever they want. You see the staggering numbers of people that drop out. 59% in 2011, which is a, a crazy high number, but in 2019, 64%. And now, I couldn't find any 2022, 2023 numbers for this. But if this is the, the state of Christianity in America, that as soon as uh, teenagers are getting to the age of 18 and they're just leaving, the truth of the matter is it didn't happen when they were 18. That's why I titled it Already Gone. Because they were already gone long before they turned 18. The battle was lost long before that 18th birthday. So how can we combat this? How can we fight for our child or our children or grandchildren or children that are in our ministry? How can we battle for them? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to start in verse number 4. And before I start reading, I'm just going to pray and ask the Lord's blessing on this message. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truths uh, that are therein. Um, I thank you that as a parent, I can go to your word and see how should we parent. What are some principles for how I can parent my children and bring them up to love you? Lord, I pray that as we consider this topic, that we would truthfully and that we would be honest and truthful with ourselves, that we would look at these things and say, you know, I can... I can improve here, or I feel that I'm doing my best here, Lord. I pray that it'd be a challenge to those that maybe, uh, that for those of us that have areas to improve, but also encouragement in the areas that we are doing our best and that you will bless and use in our children's lives. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. This is what is called, known as the Shema. This is akin to the, uh, the Jewish statement of faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words, w- and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. You see, here Moses penned these words from the Holy Spirit, and he's talking to Israel. And so we are using these principles, but we understand we are not Israel. We are not, nor will we ever be as Gentile Christians, Israel. But these truths are still very applicable to us. You see, 
The Israelites, when they were going to go into the promised land, they were given this, this set of rules. God said, love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And as Christians today, if God gave these commands to his chosen people about how to raise their children, uh, then by default, by principle, we today as Christians who want to bring up children that love the Lord can take these same principles and apply them in our own lives. And so I saw it was probably a year ago, six months, a year ago, someone posted on Facebook, and I tried to go back and find it, but I couldn't find exactly who had posted this. But there are 940 Saturdays before your, ba- your baby turns 18. Somebody had posted on Facebook a picture of a shadow box, and it had little pom-poms in it, and each of those pom-poms represented the, Saturday, or the weekends left before their child turned 18. And... 260 of those weekends are gone by their fifth birthday. When we think about it like that, we see how limited our time as parents really is. You see, those early years are when you have the most influence in your child's life. When they listen to you the the most, because we all know when they get to be teenagers, especially once they get into high school, they try and do their own thing and... um, which is normal, but the influential years are those early childhood years. And I read this article, and most of this information I learned in a, in a class, and I have a book about it that if anyone's interested, I can find the book and, and let you know. But think about the question, when are children most open to hearing the gospel? Is it when they're a child? Is it when they're a teenager? Think about where do churches need to focus their programs. You see, children at the ages 0 to 4, I have a couple quotes about those, that age group, 0 to 4, physicians or doctors assert that children begin to absorb values as early as 2 years of age. The highly effective ministries therefore start their most serious partnership with parents soon thereafter. That's from Barna. Many studies confirm that children begin absorbing values and beliefs as soon as they can understand language. Again, that's Barna. What about ages five to nine? You see, the time between kindergarten, so five years of age, and fourth grade is the most effective time to shape these young hearts and pour into them the truths of the Bible. Dr. James Dobson said, spiritual training of children should begin at the earliest moments of awareness and continue through the teen years. The most important year, however, may be age five. That is when they are open and tender to the call of Christ. Barna again says, Social scientists have known for years that the moral foundations of children are generally determined by the time the individual reaches age nine. Their their foundation of morality is already set by the age of nine. Our research confirms a parallel outcome in the spiritual dimension. By age nine, most children have their spiritual foundation or moorings in place. You see, by the time they get into youth group, it's too late to... And I'm not saying God can't work and God won't work, but the most crucial time is already, is already lost. And then ages 10 to 18. When our children get to the age 10, not all is lost, but their openness to the gospel is starting to cool down. In the timeline of faith, ages 10 to 13 are absolutely vital. Children are the most open to the gospel between 4 to 9, 
but they are still open to it in this crucial next four years, 10 to 13. And just a few more quotes, and then we'll get back um, to, to Deuteronomy. The importance of building strong spiritual foundations at an early age is again confirmed by recognizing that in 2003, so 20 years ago, there was virtually no difference between the spiritual standing of adults and those existing in their childhood years. In other words, by the age of 13, your spiritual identity is largely set in place. I've become convinced that the spiritual war occurring in individual lives is pretty much won or lost by the age of 13. Some, some have said that there's only, after the age of 19, there's only a 6% chance of people coming to know the Lord that have grown up in, in church. And again, we don't want to diminish God and the Holy Spirit, but these numbers are, there's, they've done a lot of research into these numbers. And, and as churches, as parents, sometimes we, we try and just get through those, the, the terrible twos and the, the threes and fours. We try and just get by because it's, t- it's tough. It's hard to have small children. But we are called to a higher calling as parents than just surviving our children. We're called to raise them up, to train them. And these critical years are, are day after day just flying by. Selah's going to be five, five, four, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. She's going to be five in May, March. I'm all over the place. She's going to be five in March. And in, in my perspective, it feels like she was just born. And how much more parents of teenagers that turn around and their, their, parent, or their teenager is now 18 years old and about to go out on their own. It's vital that we parent our children and teach them about God while they're young. You know, John says in 3 John verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. You know, here he's talking about a church that he had, he had been working with, but as parents, shouldn't this be our prayer? That we have no greater joy than to hear that our children walk in truth and love the Lord? I can't think of any greater joy. Erica posted a video on Facebook recently. Uh, Levi has finally gotten to the point where he's talking enough that he was able to pray, and we were able to teach him, start teaching him how to pray. And it's a sweet thing. If you haven't seen it, you can go on Erica's Facebook. It's adorable. But we have to begin those, those, the training and teaching our children about God while they're young. And here in this passage, we see four different things that will help us in this. The first of that being that Our walk with God, a a good walk with the Lord, must be illustrated to our children. If we want our children to graduate high school and and serve the Lord and love the Lord, that has to be illustrated at home for them. You see, verse 4, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. You see, it starts at home. It starts with us as parents saying, I am going to love the Lord. 
and, and asking the Lord to help us to love him as we ought to love him. It takes a work of the Holy Spirit. It takes discipline and uh, diligence to say, no, I'm going to live for the Lord. I'm going to love the Lord with all my heart. I'm not going to let my heart be divided. You know, we see those um, license plates that talk about this house is divided and it'll be like Alabama and Auburn and it's a divided house. But think about that in more spiritual terms. This is why teenagers... Sorry, I have somewhat of a cold, so... um, That's why teenagers, it's important that you don't get into a relationship with someone that doesn't know the Lord. Why? Because to start out a marriage, to start out a family with a divided house where you love the Lord and they're unsaved, they don't know the Lord, that fundamentally is an issue. There's going to be ways in which one parent who didn't grow up in, an, in church, doesn't know the Lord, is going to think, oh, we should do it this way, and the other parent's going to say, you know, that goes, that's contrary to what the Bible teaches. We have to love the Lord our God with all our heart. We can't have a divided heart. We can't give our heart away to idols in our lives. You know, so, so often, as parents, we can illustrate for our children, instead of, this is how you live for the Lord, we illustrate to our children, this is how you live. You, you buy all the stuff you want. You, you do whatever you want, and you don't even give God a second thought unless it's Sunday. Then you go to church. You, you do go through the motions. You, you say your prayer. You read your Bible, and then you go back to whatever you want to do. And children, and especially teenagers, they see that. They see a divided heart. They see hypocrisy, and they say, okay, so on Sunday you're this person. You put on this mask. And the rest of the week, you put on this mask. You're you're two different people. Why do we think our children, teenagers, would want to be a Christian if being a Christian means you wear this mask on Sunday and over here you wear this mask throughout the rest of the week? We can't have a divided heart. Love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. Illustrate that at home for your children. Do your children ever hear you pray? Do you pray with your children, with your spouse? Do your children see you reading the Bible? Do you read the Bible to your children? Do you find ways to serve God and illustrate that for your children? You know, I had the opportunity yesterday to go up to Montevella and uh, go to a conference about um, youth ministry and, and children's ministry. And I got a couple quotes from there. And one of them was, what is most important to you will be most important to your kids. Probably step on some toes here, but if Alabama football is the most important to you, it's going to be the most important to your kids. If you put sports in front of God, that's what's going to be more important to your kids. If you put work in front of your, in in the place of God, that will be what's most important to your kids. You know, oftentimes our kids and we as humans struggle with the same things our parents struggled with. Why? Because we've seen it our whole lives. That doesn't mean we have to. That doesn't mean it's a hard and fast uh, rule. But oftentimes we see these people who maybe their, their father was a drunk and they say, I'm never going to become a drunk. And then what happens? They become a drunk. Why? Because what's most important to us is what will become most important to our kids. 
Another quote, this one wasn't from the conference, but it's one that I often have playing in my head, you get what you honor. And a perfect illustration of this would be if you say, because I don't like LeBron James, so you say, Michael Jordan, I have in, in this room, I've got three Michael Jordan posters on this wall and three on that side because he won six championships, so we've got six posters. And you have all this Michael Jordan stuff, and you're always in there watching the highlights from those games and just reminiscing about Michael Jordan and the good old days of basketball when they weren't all a bunch of cry... I mean, there were crybabies then, but they weren't as much as crybabies. And then your children will pick up and... Now, some children might become a LeBron James fan just because you don't like him, but oftentimes our children will take on that same uh, teams or... um, athletes that we enjoy watching the most, and they'll do that themselves. Why? Because you get what you honor. If you honor Michael Jordan or whoever, that's, chances are that's what you're going to get. But, and I've used this example before, on the flip side, one, uh, a set of parents that I look up to greatly because I hope that my children can turn out half as well as theirs, is the Joneses. And one time I was talking to Anna Mae Jones, and she told me, I think it was after a sermon, she had mentioned how, you know, she put on her refrigerator, they would have missionary cards. Why? Because they wanted to honor those missionaries. They wanted to honor those that gave their life to God. And the children would go to get a drink or go to get food, and they'd see those missionaries, and they'd pray for them, and they'd talk about the missionaries. And uh, Stephen and Ari right now, are back in Colombia as missionaries. I know at least one of your other your children is a, a pastor or a, a minister of music at a church. You get what you honor. And, and the final one uh, quote that I got at the conference was, we reproduce what we are. If, if we are someone that loves the Lord, we're going to have children that grow up to love the Lord. They're going to see us genuinely loving the Lord and living for Him. And yes, they have their responsibility to do right and to make their own choices, but oftentimes we will reproduce what we are. Why? Because our children see us growing up. They watch us. You know, another Bible verse that illustrates this is 2 Timothy 1 verse 5. When I call to remembrance, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. You see, Timothy had this faith illustrated for him through his grandmother, through his mother. Many people believe his father was a Gentile um, and that his mother was a a Jew. Um, But regardless of whether that's true or not, his grandmother and his mother were people of faith that loved the Lord. They had genuine faith towards God. It wasn't Oh, I know God. Oh, I, I've heard of him. They, they lived out what they said that they believed. And that was illustrated through t- for Timothy. And Paul says that he had it himself. So in order to, to fight this battle for our children, we have to illustrate what it means to live for and love the Lord. But also in verse 7, we see that it has to be instructed. Verse 7 says... And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. He's talking about the commands that he's given. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. 
You see, it has to be instructed. We don't just learn to learn about God just because our parents say they're Christians. No, we learn about God through his word. We learn about God in Sunday school, in junior church, in youth group, in big church, in all these different places we learn about God. However, those should be supplemental to, as parents, us instructing our children God's word, God's commands, God's laws, the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God. Those have to be instructed. We have to teach those to our children. And, and so often, we don't instruct our children because we don't know God ourselves. We don't spend time with God in his word. So how can we instruct our children? How can we tell our children about someone we don't even know? We have to instruct our children to know God's word, to know God himself. He says here in verse 7 that it's diligently. You should talk of them when you're sitting down in your house, when you're walking, when you lie down and when you rise up. This talks about intentionality. We have to intentionally instruct our children. It's not just going to happen by osmosis. You know, I've heard of, um, when you look up ways to study, that some people will, teachers will always make the joke, you can't just put the textbook on your head and fall asleep. It's not going to, through osmosis, just go through into your head. But so often we, we say, oh, well, they're learning it in church, and, and we listen to Christian music, and we, you know, we, we, we love the Lord, but then they never take the time to share what God's Word says. Your children are not going to know God's Word if you never crack it open to show it to them, to say, this is what the Lord says, this is why we do it this way, or this is why we don't do this or do that. You know, kids and teens, they don't like the answer because I said so. And sometimes as a parent with three small children, because I said so is reason enough. However, if we want to keep our children and our teenagers, we need to be open with them. We need to be willing to give them answers when they're genuinely asking. When they're asking just because they're being defiant, that's one thing. But when they're asking because they want to know why, why does God say we should do this? Or why does God say we shouldn't do that? We need to be intentional, but we also need to know the answer. If you don't spend time with God and his word, how are you going to answer your child when they ask you a question about who God is? It's intentional. It takes thought. It takes having goals. We have to intentionally train our child with a goal in mind. What is our goal? Is our goal to have a child that loves the Lord? Because if we don't have goals, if we don't intentionally train them, they're not going to end up loving the Lord. They're going to turn 18. They're going to leave and say, why did I ever waste my time here? Because if we as parents don't have a goal in mind, what makes us think our children are going to have a goal of, I want to live for the Lord? You see, first, it, it needs to be illustrated at home. It needs to be instructed intentionally. And fourthly, it needs, God's word needs to influence our lives and the lives of our children. And you know, I've kind of already touched on this a bit, but in verses 8 and 9, Moses goes on to write, And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. 
and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. You know, maybe you, you take this very literally. You know, the Jews took this very literally, and they, they have uh, wraps that they have with verses. They have things that they'll put up to their head with verses in them. They have verses on all the posts of their doors. And is there anything wrong with very literally taking the walls of your home and putting up verses? No, that's a great thing. But it doesn't matter how many verses you have on the wall if there's none in your heart. If God's word hasn't personally influenced you in your life, it doesn't matter if you have the whole Bible on the wall. Because it first has to influence us as parents, as grandparents, as uh, teachers of children, before it's ever going to make a difference and influence our children. Another quote from the conference I was at, one, one of the speakers said, Speak Scripture, but you can only speak Scripture if you know Scripture. You know, I think we've all dealt with people and, and had people in our lives that had good intentions, but they would speak Scripture, but it was maybe at the wrong time. When we're going through a hard time, they'll use a verse, and almost like Job's friends, where they... They say stuff at the wrong time. But then we, there's people that we know that have influenced us that the, the way in which they talk, Scripture is weaved into it in such a, a, a tactful way because they know God's Word so much. They love God's Word. And so it's, so, it's just natural. It's a natural part of the way they talk. It doesn't come across as, this is, I'm giving you a verse Uh, just throwing verses at you. It comes as, this is the way they talk. They love the Lord. And the truths that they're speaking to me are weaved into what they're saying. And you know, that takes time as as a parent. At first, it might be strange to say, okay, we're going to take this time and sit down and and read God's Word. Or we're going to uh, do this as a family. At first, it, it... it can be awkward, especially if your children are older, because they're so used to the way things were. But as we spend time with God, as we get to know Him more, as we memorize His Word, it'll begin, it'll begin to become more natural. When we're walking with our children, and, and they're looking maybe at the zoo, and they're talking about all the animals, we can remind them, uh, because you know all the signs will say millions and millions of years, we can remind them, you know, God made this. God loved us enough that he gave us Nathan's favorite animals, a hippo. He gave us hippos because God is creative. God loves us and we can enjoy these things. We can enjoy all the things God has created. And if you do that over time, it doesn't feel forced. It becomes natural to to point to God and say, God is the one or this is why we do that because we're getting rid of that divided heart. We're not just being this person on Sunday and someone else throughout the week. We're being a wholehearted Christian, if you want to say it that way. We're, we're truly loving God with all our heart and we're living for Him. And those of you that maybe you don't have children yet and you might want to in the future, now begin preparing yourself, allowing God's Word to influence you so that later on it can influence your family. So that it's a natural progression that, you know, we have God's word in our heart. We have God's word in our home. This home is going to be built on, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. 
We'll love the Lord. We will live for Him. There's many people today that they don't want to live for the Lord. They'll, they'll go to church, but after that, they say, all right, God, I gave you my, I clocked in, I gave you my time, now I'm back to whatever I want to do. And we're all guilty of it at times. But that should not be the way in which we live. God's word should influence our hearts and our lives. Why? Because Isaiah 55 verse 11 says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Now Isaiah here was talking more about the prophecies, but the truth of the matter is that God's word does not return void. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is, a, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You see, when we take God's word out of our lives, when we put our, his word on a shelf and let it collect dust and only bring it out on Sundays and blow off the dust from all throughout the week, we are taking away the power of God from our lives. Why? Because... If we don't know who God is, how can we serve him? How can we live for him? God's word is powerful. God's word has the ability to change our lives. Uh, I've told the story before, and I saw it pop up on Facebook recently, but in December of 2014, I came home to my parents for Christmas that year, and at the time, I was still living in, in Chicago Heights, living with gangbangers, living, doing whatever I wanted to do, didn't care about the things I learned about growing up, didn't care about, I didn't turn, like I didn't deny God, I just didn't care to live for him at that time. But it's not this Bible, but one of my other Bibles I have, I couldn't sleep because, you know, we partied all night and then slept all day, and so I couldn't sleep when everyone else was asleep. And on my nightstand, I was bored, there was nothing to do, I saw my Bible, and so I was like, I need something to do to try and fall asleep. So I grabbed the Bible and I started reading through it. And through that Bible, God got a hold of me. God changed my heart. He brought me back to himself. I was saved at the age of five, but I chose to walk away from God. But through his word, it didn't take a preacher. It didn't take, um, I mean, there were people that were influential in my life that did come alongside afterward and help, but it was God's word that changed my, my life. How much more can God's word change our lives when we're young? When we are in that moldable stage, and I'm not talking about brainwashing our children into believing something. I'm talking about when God has given them the ability to be the most moldable, why wouldn't we set them off on the right path? Why wouldn't we train them up in the best way that we know how that we can according to God's word? So, what are some practical ways in which this looks like? Obviously, we can spend time in God's Word. We can spend time praying with our family, reading God's Word with our family, uh, teaching our children about God at all times, not just when we're in our family devotions or whatever. Well, I, I saw this other infographic that said they, they interviewed a bunch of people, and the people that stayed in church after 18 some of the reasons, and obviously these are more practical reasons, obviously the reasons behind them were more God and the Holy Spirit, but as humans, what are some things that we can do, and these are just practical ways that those people that stayed said really helped them 
uh, grow up. And I have a graphic for it as well. Um, one of the ways is, one of the things that helped a lot of these people stay in church was they ate dinner as a family. I think it said five out of seven nights. You know, there is something powerful about sitting around a table and talking and, and hearing what your children have to say. You know, hearing Selah and Nathan, they forget half the stories, but this, hearing what they remember of the Bible accounts that they hear in, in Awana or uh, junior church or uh, Wednesday night class, just talking with them, and, and that is time. And do we always eat, do we personally always eat around a table and talk? No. But the times that we do it is so powerful to hear your children talking about and, and saying their verses that they've memorized and are learning in Awana or in uh, Miss Holly's class. It's, there's something about that that as a parent, it's, it's a beautiful thing, but it also has a meaningful impact in children. The second one on here is serve together. Serve in ministry together. Find a way that, you know, when you're serving, maybe... Maybe you say, well, I, I don't really have a place that I serve. Okay, well, <laughs> ask Pastor Danny or ask me. We can find a place to help you, find a place to plug in and, and find ways that your children can help with that. You know, maybe you teach junior church. Maybe your kids are not in the class that you're going to be teaching. Talk through the story with them, the, the, whatever you're going to give. Talk through and, and have them help. Like maybe you've got a craft you're putting together. Have them help put that craft together. Serve together. And point out the fact that we are not just doing this because for no reason. We're doing this because we're trying to teach others about God. You know, kids at, at a young age, they have a heart to, to share with others. You know, Selah, it's easy for her to take one of those cards and go up to anyone in any store and say, I want you to come to church. I want you to know about Jesus. I want, um, I want to be a missionary when I'm older, and here's a, here's a card. Come to our church. Come hear about God. Hear about Jesus. But so often, because we aren't serving in the capacity we should be, our children don't get that opportunity. You know, maybe we're afraid to share, to hand a tract to someone, so our children learn that over time. Oh, I should be afraid of what these other people are thinking of me and not hand out a track. I never see mom or dad hand out a track. There must be a reason I'm not going to do that. Or a welcome card. Get them serving with you in whatever capacity you, you choose to serve or you're able to serve. Use your spiritual gifts and teach your children to use the gifts and abilities they have to serve the Lord. And do it together as a family. Another one, this kind of goes along with serving in ministry together, but give them responsibility in ministry. That says just give them responsibility, but give them responsibility in ministry. Maybe during a time where you're reading the Bible or praying, if your child's old enough, have them read part of the, the Bible passage you're in. Have them pray along with you. Give them some responsibility spiritually that they can take and hold on to. Why? Because children love that. Children love to have some sort of responsibility. Even if they won't admit it, they want that responsibility. And it gives them ownership. It's not just, well, mom and dad's faith, um, they read the Bible, so I, I do it because they do. No, it says, gives them some ownership over that. 
It says, I read the Bible as well during our family time, or I help in this other capacity. It gives them ownership in it. It makes their faith their own as well, not just their parents or their grandparents. Another one, spend time with God as a family. Take time to read God's word, to pray to him, to pray for others, to talk about missionaries, people that have given their lives for the Lord. And spend time with other people and families of faith. You know, if you grew up in church, I, I can look back over my years in church and I can point to people in my mind that had a great impact on me personally and my faith that maybe I wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for them. Do you have other people, other families of faith that you allow around your children to help you along that way? Maybe, again, maybe you're the, the person that says, I don't have children or my children are, gro- are grown. Do you go around other people and try and encourage them and, and help teach their children? You know, Titus 2, verses 4 through 8 says, here speaking of discipleship, that they may teach the young woman to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech, that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Do you take the time, those of you that maybe don't have children at home, to disciple other people, to help other parents, to say, you know, I didn't, I didn't parent perfectly, but this is, these are some things that helped me. You know, one thing I learned very early in having children, because when Erica was pregnant with Selah in 2018, you know, people come out of the woodwork, and everyone knows how to raise a child. Even people that have never had children know how to raise a child, and they'll tell you how you should raise your child. And half the time those people don't even have children, or you look at them and you say, I've seen your child outside of here. But you keep that to yourself. And so again, this also goes to the fact of, are you allowing God's word to influence you? Those that don't have children at home or or don't have children, are you being influenced by God's word? Are Are you seeking ways to helpfully help parents? Not just give them unsolicited advice, but try and truly help them and encourage them and pray for them. You know, praying for a parent can sometimes do 10,000 times more than giving them some unsolicited advice. Letting them know, hey, I know you've got your hands full right now. I'm praying for you guys. I'm, I am constantly praying for you guys, taking you before the Lord that can have so much more of an impact to help strengthen a parent. Why? Because they know, I can't do this of myself. Every parent, if they're honest, they know, I'm a failure. I am going to ruin these children. I don't know why God gave me these children. But God gave us children. Those of us that have children, God gave them to us. He knew that we were able to raise them if we're willing to obey and do what he has called us to do. You know, I have a quote. I skipped over it, but if we can go back to that quote. If you want to impact your child for Christ, 
You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be consistent. You don't have to be perfect. And I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this, but this one I did come up with myself. But oftentimes we we look at ourselves as parents and we say, you know, I, I failed here and I failed there. You, you can have more of an impact on your child by owning up to where you've failed, by apologizing to your child when you've done wrong. It, it's perfectly biblical to humble yourself and apologize to your child when you do wrong towards your child. You don't have to be perfect. And when your children become adults and have kids of their own, they'll understand. You know, that oftentimes we look back at what our parents did and we say, you know, I, they could have done this better, they could have done that. And it's easy in 20, uh, hindsight is twenty twenty to look back and say, yeah, I wish my parents had done this instead of that. But when you have your own children, you understand, yeah, there's no perfect parent. The only perfect parent is God the Father. And I'm not him. But as long as you are consistent and faithful and not double-hearted, not being this person on Sunday and this person throughout the week, and, and you do what the Lord has said, yes, your child still has that decision to make, but you set your child up for the best opportunity to live for God. You give him, all the, him or her all the tools, the, the abilities to follow after God, and that's all God calls us to do as parents. He doesn't expect perfection. He expects humility, training, and trusting in him and leaving the rest up to him. So parents, be encouraged that the things you are doing are not in vain. And maybe there's things in here that, I mean, I was challenged at some of these points as well, that maybe we can be a little bit more intentional with. But ultimately, let's rely on the Lord. Let's give it over to him and ask him to do the work through us that we know we are incapable of doing. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the gift of children. I thank you for those that um, maybe don't have children, but in my own life have impacted me when I was a child. And Lord, I pray that as a, as a church, that we could come alongside each other as parents and um, help one another and truly seek to bring our children up into love and bring them up in the admonition of you. Lord, I thank you that you laid this message on my heart. I pray that parents would be encouraged and challenged and that you would strengthen the parents at Open Door Baptist Church to raise our children for you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's all awesome.